A 2011 law called the America Invents Act established something called the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, and it changed the system from first to invent to first to file. My next guest says the law is a mistake and needs to be changed back. Randy Landrino is president of a group called U.S. Inventors, which lobbies Congress to rewrite the law. He joins me now. Mr. Landrino, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. And we should point out you have a couple of patents to your name. You are an inventor and work for a small company that has some patents. So you're kind of part of the whole process yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah, I have a few patents. Nothing that's made it big yet, but still uh, working on some things for the future that we'll see. (laughs) All right. So first of all, what is the issue with the America Invents Act from your standpoint of view? Is it the establishment of the PTAB or is it the change from first to invent to first to file? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of argument back when the bill was being pushed about first to invent versus first to file. And you know what? That ended up being the least important aspect. What really became the problem is the establishment of the Patent Trial and Appeal Board called the PTAB, which is an administrative court, which was basically sold to Congress as we need a faster, more efficient, less expensive, but fair alternative to district court for certain types of patent disputes. And as you find in Washington, D.C., it was a very reasonable argument. It was very compelling. And of course, it was coming from the lobbyists of huge corporations, including big tech. No inventors were listened to as usual because we're not the guys with tons of money to lobby with. What was created, though, was this administrative court, which became pretty much a killing field for patents. In fact, former Chief Judge Randall Rader referred to it as a death squad for patent rights. And that's how we see it. And I can tell you a little bit about it. Prior to the creation of the PTAB, these disputes were all handled in real courts with juries. And let me tell you something. You want a jury if you're in a big situation that's important where you're innocent. What it would decide in court and now by the PTAB is who actually had the right to a particular patent, in other words? No, what it is is, okay, so this is an interesting question. If you are accused of patent infringement, you could argue that, well, we don't infringe, or you could argue that... The patent was a mistake and shouldn't have been issued. And those were the two arguments historically. But now with the PTAB, the argument is always, I say always, maybe it's not 100%, but it's pretty close to it. Always, it's a bad patent, shouldn't have been issued. Regardless of any facts or figures, that is the argument. It shouldn't have been issued. And then they take it to the PTAB where whether the patent should or should not have been issued is the issue. That's what the PTAB is there for. So if one inventor, say a small company or a single sole practitioner type of inventor, achieves a patent and then believes that patent is infringed on by somebody like, I guess, a Chinese company or someone in the United States, the PTAB, you're saying, tends to agree with the argument that the patent itself was invalid. Right. So basically, yes. So you you sue a big corporation or anybody, but you know, in, in many cases, what you're talking about is suing the giants who are, for whatever reason, unwilling to license inventions because it's easier to not. You know, it's much harder for the little guy to just stop them and make them pay. So especially now. So they will claim, well, you're infringing. We don't think we are. You sue them, or they say, go ahead, sue us if you want. You sue them, they basically try to invalidate your patent then at the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, where basically it's an administrative court, where in the past this was done in a real court with a jury and a lot of due process and a lifetime appointed judge, but now you have an administrative court. There's no jury. There's very little due process. You don't have all the various types of arguments and discovery and all that stuff. And the judges, instead of a real judge, you have three individuals who are called administrative patent judges. 
we have statistics that show that their experience, their technical experience in the technologies that of these patents that they're invalidating is way, way less than what the examiners have. The examiners are the experts. They're the ones that issue these patents. But then you have these PTAB judges who have much less and sometimes no technical experience, maybe an undergraduate degree, but their experience sure. is typically as a lawyer, not as a person dealing with these technologies. And of course, I don't know if you're a lawyer or not, but lawyers can Thankfully, argue all no. kinds of, <laughs> yeah, lawyers can argue all kinds of things. They're kind of trained to do that. And what our statistics show is that 84% of the time that a patent is reviewed by the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, 84% of the time that it gets to a final decision, they are either fully or partially invalidated. And partially typically means the parts of the patent that matter. So in other words, the parts that are in dispute. And it is horrendous. And it's not cheap. In fact, the AIPLA, that's the uh, the big patent law trade group, right? AIPLA says that a decent defense of a PTAB attack is four hundred dollars to $800,000. And here's the killer. Historically, inventors are not the rich guys, right? Steve Jobs didn't have money when he started. Bill Gates didn't have money. The great ideas, the outside of the box thinking comes from the the little guys and gals in a garage or wherever. They don't have the money to fight a hugely expensive patent infringement suit. How do they do it? Well, historically, they did it on contingency, where the attorney shares in the winnings, but you don't have to pay the attorney a ton of money up front. That has been destroyed because at the PTAB, almost will never find an attorney who will do a PTAB case on contingency because number one, there's nothing to win. Number two, if you get through one PTAB attack, you can actually face numerous additional ones. One of my friends faced eight of them. We're speaking with Randy Landrino. He's president of U.S. Inventors. So it sounds like the PTAB was created as a way to speed up what can be sometimes slow courts and also to deal with the issue that was extant at that time of the patent troll. But it sounds like the unintended consequences have outweighed those benefits. Is that basically what you think has happened? Oh, gosh, that is so true. This is like the poster child for unintended consequences. Recently, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, it's been a couple of years now, granted the 10 millionth patent in history. How many have been invalidated, do you think, in the past 10 years by the PTAB? It's interesting you bring that up because the uh, district director for Senator Patrick Leahy gave me an interesting question because we actually had a demonstration in front of his office for the 10-year anniversary of the passage of the bill. And it was Leahy's bill, and Leahy has got the top position on patents in the Senate. Basically, of the 3,000 patents, a little over 3,000 that have been reviewed by the PTAB and gotten to a final written decision, 84% of them, which is 2,500 something, have been invalidated. Now, what this individual said to me was, wait a minute, what about last year, there were a few hundred thousand patents issued, but only 600 of them went to the PTAB. So it's a very small number. No, but it's the really valuable patents. A lot of patents issued that aren't that valuable. I have three that so far have zero value, right? But the patents that are truly valuable... Those are the ones that get infringed, get knocked off, and that you try to stop the infringer and then drag you into the PTAB. This PTAB is used as a a way to destroy the little guy because they can. And it's horrendous. And all we want, I'm going to tell you something, all we want is to be able, if you're an inventor and it's your patent or you're a startup based on a patent, all we want is the ability to opt for a real court rather than being dragged into the PTAB, like we had for 200 years. I actually don't know if Senator Leahy even knows about the unintended consequences of his bill. And I can tell you, we've tried very hard to get to him directly. And I think what he is listening to, apparently, as far as we can tell, is big tech. Randy Landrino is president of U.S. Inventor. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used 
that you use to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants 
as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.